0: Yeah, good evening and welcome to the Big Red Bench. It's Colm O'Sullivan with you through until 7 o'clock with a busy, busy show tonight. Lots going on in the world of sport. Coming up between now and 7, we talk football. The Euros last 16 of Euro 2020 is underway. Ronnie Whelan will join us very shortly as we look ahead to all of the matches in the last 16 at Euro 2020. We also reflect on Cork City's defeat to Shelburne last night in Talka Park. We hear from City Manager Colin Healy and Cork City legend george o'callaghan we look ahead to a big night for the cork lady footballers in the final up in croke park they take on arch rivals dublin we'll chat to jerry mccarthy live from croke park and here from boss evie fitzgerald as well and we'll have athletics as valerie chats to jesse Barr, current team ireland member ahead of the olympics in tokyo Yeah, all that and so much more to come between now and 7 o'clock here on Cork's Red FM. It's Colm O'Sullivan with you. On a busy Saturday of sport, are you enjoying the Euros like I am? It has been absolutely magnificent. Fantastic. Some absolute crackers of games in the group stages and now we are into the last 16 at the Euros and uh, the first game of the last 16 is underway. It's the Welsh Wales are in action over in the Amsterdam Arena and it's like a home game for Denmark because the stadium is full of Denmark fans cuz Welsh fans weren't permitted to travel to Amsterdam but uh, no problem with the Danes coming in apparently so um half time there at the Amsterdam arena not looking good for Wales it is Wales nil Denmark won at halftime. Kasper Kasper Dahlberg with the goal for Denmark there after 27 minutes. So I wonder can Wales get back into that in the second half. We'll keep you up to date right across the show here. Later on this evening the second game of the day in the Euros is Italy taking on Austria and Ronnie Whelan will be joining us live very, very shortly to chat about all the Euros games uh, of the last 16. Some great Crackers of ties in there over the next few days, the likes of Belgium versus Portugal. And the one I think we're all looking forward to is on Tuesday evening at five o'clock England versus Germany at Wembley that should be a real, real showdown there between England and Germany. Uh, Elsewhere today, just wrapping up some of the sport that's going on for you here at home in the League of Ireland. It's third against fourth in the SSC Electricity League Premier Division this evening. Sligo Rovers hosting Bohemians at the showgrounds at 7.45. A win for Sligo there would move them level on points with leaders St. Pat's at the top of the league. So, um, big incentive for Sligo to get a victory there. In the First Division, Cove Ramblers host Wexford at 7pm. Cove Ramblers, way down towards the bottom uh, like Cork City at the moment unfortunately but a win there would see them leapfrog City um, as things stand against Wexford 7 o'clock kick off there in St. Coleman's Park in Gaelic games Limerick they will play reigning champions Cork we're going to face Limerick lads in the semi-finals of the Munster Senior Football Championship That's after their win today. Ian Corbett, Killian Fahey, Hugh Burke and Robbie Burke all scoring goals as Limerick eased to a 4.18 to 12 points victory over Waterford at the Gaelic Grounds. And later on this evening at 7 o'clock, Kerry hosting Clare in Killarney. Uh, Plenty more Gaelic games action around this afternoon as well. Uh, Dublin were in action earlier on too and uh, a good win for Dublin. Uh, Dublin's entire full forward line hitting the net in their 3.31 to 22 points win against Antrim in the Leinster hurling quarters. Uh, Keino Sullivan, Ronan Hayes, Keane Boland all raised green flags for Maddie Kenny's side who will play Galway now in the semis elsewhere then this evening as I mentioned in the ladies football it is Cork facing Dublin in the Lidl- Ladies National Football League final. It's a repeat of last year's All-Ireland final with the Rebels looking for revenge following Dublin's win last time out. Throw-in in Croke Park is at 7:30 and we will go live to to Croke Park later on in the show and join Ger McCarthy who was at that game for us meanwhile in Division 1A of the Red FM Hurling Leagues Glen Rovers hosting Neusestown. Throw throwing there is at 7pm in rugby uh, the Lions got off to a winning start ahead of their tour of South Africa a good win for them against Japan at Murrayfield today Warren Gatlin's side uh, winning their 28 points to 10 but they have been hit with an injury scare of the Lions ahead of that tour next week because Captain Alan Wynne-Jones was forced off in the first half of today's warm-up game Against Japan with a shoulder injury. So they will monitor that closely, I would imagine, uh, over the coming days before they head off for South Africa and the first game of the tour next weekend. And uh, we will have a big coverage of that. Uh, over the next couple of weeks here on Corex Red FM as well Uh, plenty golf going on this weekend as well just update you there on the golf too and um, uh, there's Irish interest in the golf because Niall Kearney is 6 shots off the lead after 3 rounds at golf's BMW International Open he is 11 under after uh, signing for a round of 71 in Germany today Norway's Victor Hovland takes a 3 shot lead there into the final uh, round on 17 under elsewhere Seamus Power will tee off in the next hour from 7 under par at the Travellers Championship on the PGA Tour of the Waterford brand, two shots off the lead, uh, leader Jason Day there. Now, we will talk Cork City after the defeat to Shelburne up in uh, Talca Park last night. They actually played pretty well in that game, but unfortunately, beaten 2 1 by shells in that game but uh, first of all we're going to talk about the Euros because it's all about the Euros at the moment and we're all loving the football it's a football festival and it's great and there's been absolute crackers of games as I mentioned and we're joined by a man who's played in the Euros himself back in Euro 88 famous one for Ireland under Jack Charlton Mr Ronnie Whelan joins us and uh, Ronnie as I said it has been a a wonderful Euros so far Are, are you enjoying the football?
1: I think it's been magnificent there's been an awful lot of good about it If we had great crowds, if the stadiums were full, it'd be an awful lot better, but they're still making a lot of noise. And VAR hasn't spoiled it yet.
0: Yeah, it hasn't at all, really, actually. I think it's being implemented better in the Euros than it was, or than it is in the Premier League, certainly. Anyway, Ronnie, I saw you at some of the games as well, and you were lucky enough to be... In Wembley last week for England versus Scotland, that must have been some experience. I saw you there, yourself and George Hamilton, down by the side of the pitch. And uh, I mean, what a game, what an atmosphere and a crowd back in Wembley as well. Fantastic.
1: What was it? 45, 40, 25,000, whatever it was. It wasn't, but they made an awful lot of noise, especially the jocks. Um, (laughs) But they were magnificent on the night, Scotland. They played really, really well. England's struggling for me at the moment. But um, yeah, but to be back inside the ground, do the commentaries from there, the atmosphere, it was great.
0: Yeah, I was very jealous, I have to say. Um, We're going to go through the last 16 games in depth now for the next little while, Ronnie, and uh, chat through who we think will go through to the quarterfinals and maybe who will be potential winners and so on. We know the Wales and Denmark game is ongoing at the moment, as we mentioned, but uh, later on at eight eight o'clock tonight, then it's Italy versus Austria. And I don't want to call Italy the surprise package of the tournament because we knew beforehand they were a very, very good side. But I think They've even surpassed people's expectations and they, they've been really, really impressive, haven't they?
1: Yeah, we knew um, they were good coming into the competition because they'd won a lot of games under uh, the new manager. So everything was geared towards a, a good tournament. They, they seem to be very close-knit. You know, you look at the games, the defence are magnificent. Spiratole, the left full-back, he's causing problems getting down that wing. They've got problems coming at you everywhere. Midfield's very, very good, very clever. Forwards are all moving about up front. So, it's, it's I, I can't see anything more than Italy to win this one. Really, really good side. I think they could go very, very close to winning it.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to do well overall and a lot of people picking them as potential winners now Italy. We're going to move on to Sunday Ronnie and a couple of good games on Sunday. First up is Netherlands and Czech Republic Now we've seen Czech Republic, we saw them um, the other night against England and they've impressed I think in some of their games. Your man Patrick Schick up front looks very, very impressive. He got that cracker of a goal against Scotland but Netherlands have been very, very good themselves so they've been very strong but do you think Czech Republic could pose a threat to Netherlands on Sunday.
1: I think from now on in all these eight games are all going to be pretty, pretty tough. You know they're, they're, they're tough to call. You know although we, we've seen the Czech Republic, you mentioned it, they're really, really good. Sheik scored and goals, magnificent goal. But then you look at the Dutch and they, they look smart now. They look Wijnaldum's getting forward, scoring plenty of goals. Uh, Dumfries coming up from fullbacks. You know you talk about Sprenzano and Italy on the left. On the right, Dumfries has been magnificent for the yeah. for the Dutch. So. They've got, um, the Dutch have got players that are going to hurt you. The young and midfield, the, the, the pie up front. There's players there of a, of a level that, for me, are better than the Czech Republic. So, yeah, the Dutch will, go, they'll go through, but it's none of them are going to be easy these games. Probably the tie of
0: the round then, along with England and Germany, is going to be Belgium and Portugal at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. And that's a cracker of a tie. I mean, both sides have unbelievable players Uh, Ronaldo has been unstoppable again for Portugal he's top scorer in the tournament as it stands five goals already he's he's 36 37 years of age and there's no stopping Ronaldo he's unbelievable isn't he
1: amazing um, amazing footballer He's always been an amazing footballer but now at 36 years of age he's breaking all sorts of records you know international scoring records um, tournament records it's just it's just an amazing amount of records he's got um but he's, he's the major the major problem Belgium have got to face. And I thought Belgium were um, struggling themselves early on. Well, the first game, second game, when all the players started coming on that were on the bench De Bruyne, Azard, Witzel. And then Lukaku was up front. And then you've seen a different Belgium. It was against Denmark, wasn't it, where they, they started ripping yeah. them apart with passes and goals. Yeah, so Belgium, Belgium um, looked pretty good. And I think they'll win this game against Portugal. But again, it won't be close for Ronaldo about.
0: Two more games on Monday then, Ronnie. And the first one is Croatia versus Spain. Two teams that are kind of fading, people have been saying, from the heights they once were at. But we've seen them both playing in the tournament now. And Croatia, um, even though they're they're a team... People were saying on the slide since the highs of the 2018 World Cup, they've they've played fairly well in some games. We saw them against Scotland the other night, got some nice goals. And Spain, for their part, they won 5-0 during the week against Slovakia, I know. But that doesn't mask the, the, the slide they're on, really. And they're not the Spain we know over the last decade. They're nowhere near the same level, really, sure they're not.
1: No, not at all, Spain. Um, you look at the team sheet at the start of the game and you're thinking... Who does he play for? Is he Atletico or Real? Or who? Um, you look at the names, that are not there anymore. It's just unbelievable. Xavi. Um, Xavi Alonso as well. Iniesta. Torres. Where are all these players? They've moved on. They've got older. And I don't think this squad coming through now is as good. Um, he's left Thiago. You know, whether he needs, um, there's something wrong with him and he's trying to clear up an injury. But I, I felt that if he goes in there, Busquets has come back in after COVID. So, But Spain are not playing well, and and Croatia could maybe even sneak this game. But you'd be very surprised if Spain went down the last 16, but there's a huge possibility that they could.
0: Then the second game on Monday is France versus Switzerland. Now, you'd certainly expect the French to beat the Swiss, Ronnie, but, I mean, they haven't been overly impressive. They've got an unbelievable squad of players. Big things are expected. Um, they were one of the favourites to win the tournament coming into it. But so far, they have I suppose they've impressed in some games and not impressed in others, it's fair to say, isn't it? Um, if you look at the first game, they beat the Germans. And they haven't really impressed much since then, though, have they?
1: No, they've huffed and they've puffed. The first half against Germany, they were very, very good. Uh, I think because it's been so far back, people tend to forget that Germany were very good in the second half. And, and France looked as if they didn't know where to go, what was going on. Benzema, um, he scored a couple of goals now, but he was, he was struggling a bit, and Bappe hasn't scored. So it's, it's going to be. Um, I, it, you've got to think France are going to win it, but they need to play an awful lot if they're going to win the tournament. They'll beat Switzerland. Um, but are they good enough to go on and win the tournament? They have to improve an awful lot. I think Deschamps has said it already. We're not playing great, but we've done what we came to do. We're, through, we're top of the group. We've done our bit till here. Now we should get started to play better.
0: So on to Tuesday then, and the first game on Tuesday at 5 o'clock is the big one that we are all really, really looking forward to. Very, very excited for this game. Whenever England play Germany, it's an absolutely massive clash. And I think, Ronnie, England so far they they topped their group but they've only scored two goals they haven't conceded any goals but they've only scored two goals both of those coming from sterling uh they struggled against scotland big time and i think harry kane not getting goals is a worry for them as well um they're maybe not playing quite as well as they would have hoped with the squad of players available to them but then germany for their part haven't been overly impressive either so i mean this is a this is a game that could go either way i think but uh, england will be hopeful they can get past germany this time
1: I think it's two teams that are struggling in the competition so far. Germany have played well in, in, in patches, um, but they, they, they need to improve an awful lot. You know, the results uh, the 2-2. The, two, two. Um, they, they have to be better than the result the other night. But they did really, really well against Portugal. Portugal struggled in that game. But um, Two teams for me that are struggling really badly in this competition. Kane is nowhere to be seen at the moment. The manager doesn't know. He wants to play Phillips and Rice in midfield, but he's not 100% for me sure what to put ahead of him. The three ahead, uh, Kane up front. He's not... um, I don't think he's ever, since the start of the tournament, before the tournament, had a team in his head that goes, this is my best eleven, and I will play this. Unless he's got up his sleeve now and starts bringing out a different formation. I don't know why he needs two defenders. It's England, they're playing at Wembley. One defensive midfielder, I mean. Play Rice or Phillips, yep. who you fancy, and then perform in front of them and let's go and attack teams. I think England will have enough because I don't think Germany are
0: playing well enough. Do you think, Ronnie, that Southgate and England have. An embarrassment of riches. I mean, they've, they've, do they have too many wonderful, talented players in their squad? I know that sounds kind of ridiculous to say in a way, but even you see the players coming off the bench in, in their game last week against Czech Republic the other night, uh, the likes of Rashford coming off the bench, Sancho, Bellingham, um, and they were missing Mount and Chilwell, uh, and they still had a, had a great team out. Uh, Jack Grealish didn't even get in the team in the first few games. Have they, has Southgate too many players to pick from? Is that, a, is that a problem for him? I mean, is that is that a weird thing to say?
1: We say this t- so many times about England and the riches of talent they've got in their squad and never win anything. Um, and that's going back to your great years when the new generation of Gerard Lampard, Scholes, this is a magnificent team. Manager didn't know which way to play Gerard Lampard and Scholes, so it all gets hickledy-pickledy. Um, And I think this is what's happening with England at the moment. He's not 100% sure which way his best players, or who are his best players, to win certain positions. And they're struggling to hit top form. You know, there is still time. Maybe they'll do it against Germany. But looking at them over the first three games, I, I, I don't see them getting high enough performances to go on and win the tournament, but I can see them getting through against Germany.
0: And if they do get through against Germany, they'll have a handy enough draw, you'd imagine, because they'll play the winners of Sweden versus Ukraine. And I think England would be happy enough to face either of them, wouldn't they, if they can get past Germany?
1: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. It's it's been a good draw for them along the way. We've got to think Sweden... Sweden have topped their group um, with seven points. Ukraine, I had a sneaky bet on Ukraine at the start of the tournament. Uh, So I'd have to stay with Ukraine. I think Ukraine, when they come... um, when they get better, shall I say, they will have enough to beat Sweden. Ukraine can be very, very dangerous if they, if they reach top, top performance.
0: What team has impressed you most overall, Ronnie, in the Euros so far? Without kind of saying they're definitely going to go out and win it. Who has been your team so far that you're saying, Jesus, these guys could win it. They're, they're looking good. They're looking very, very impressive. I mean, there's been a lot of good football on display, but who do you fancy?
1: For me, the outstanding team in, this, in the whole start has been Italy. I didn't think they were as good as they were, but they, they, it's like watching one of your premiership games, Liverpool or Man City, and then they're just on the front foot, they're closing down, which has not always been like the Italians. The Italians always sat back and we'll defend and we'll win 1-0 somewhere. No, this is a different team. They defend great with Chiellini, who's injured, and bonucci and um, they, they get bodies into midfield and they, they get people forward, but they're all working hard for each other. You see when they score... Subs so everybody's together. They, they seem a, well, um, a well-oiled team and a very, very close-knit group of lads. So Italy would have surprised me. I didn't think they were that good. Great stuff.
0: Listen, Ronnie, thanks a million for chatting to us about uh, Euro 2020. It's great to have the Euros on a year later and all the football to watch. It's been good so far. Plenty more to come. And we will chat to you about it on the show again next weekend. Yes, Column. Thank you. Nice one. And uh, just as I say that, uh, another goal has gone in um, in the last few minutes there as we were chatting to Ronnie for Denmark. So it is now Wales nil, Denmark two. Kasper Dahlberg getting his second goal of the game there um, on 48 minutes for. Um, for Denmark there and they lead Wales 2-0 you have to fancy them now there's only about a half an hour or so left in that match so um, Denmark 2 Wales 0 is how it stands there in the last 16 of the Euros as we said there with Ronnie Um, Italy in action later against Austria and Ronnie fancies Italy I kind of fancy Italy myself Uh, I think Portugal will do alright still as well with Ronaldo maybe Uh, I think England will probably do alright too if they can get past Germany but uh, getting past Germany is easier said than done but I'm looking forward to that game especially on uh, Tuesday. The evening at 5 o'clock Now we're talking matters closer to home And Cork City back in action last night And Cork City's very poor season Continued unfortunately last night A Disappointment after their win last week Against Athlone Town They won 2-0 in Athlone But uh, they were beaten again last night By Shells Shelburne up in Dublin 2-1 was the final score In favour of Shells in Talca Park last night uh, An old stomping ground over the years For Cork City um, Great battles with Shelburne over the years And Cork City in fairness last night I watched the match on LOI TV, and they put in quite a good performance. It was better than a lot of performances earlier in the season, and they were unlucky. Cork City were unlucky not to get a point last night, I have to say. Um, Shelburne got the win, but, um, they got the, they got a, uh, first half goal Shells and they took the lead heading into the into half time Cork City equalised through Kia Murphy with a nice goal early in the second half and then only a few minutes later a very silly error from Cork City cost them and Shells got the second goal to give them a 2-1 advantage City had chances towards the end of the game to equalise but it wasn't to be and afterwards Ushin Langan was there for us he caught up with Cork City manager Colin Healy who was obviously disappointed
1: Colin um,
2: how frustrating is it that their winner came from the mistake
3: yeah, no, very frustrating. As I said, listen, uh, we got back into the game by a great goal by Key Murphy,
4: and uh, to get a, to give away a goal like that, especially against, you know, against a team like they're they're a good side, but it's very very frustrating. We've been here before. Been here before. Mistake again. We get punished for it. What were the positives of the performance? Because there were some. You got your way back into the game, and even after you conceded, you created a chance. Yeah, we did, yeah. We created a chance. We had a chance there at the end as well, like, but we didn't take it. But I mean, when you're given, we knew coming up with listen to set plays they're very, very dangerous, and they score from one. Do you know? I thought we could have done better than that. But if we give a silly goal like that, yeah, you're going to get punished for it. How do you cut out those mistakes? The fair, this happened a lot of them this year. They have a lot of them this year. Boys need to learn. They need to learn is that. And listen, if you give Michael O'Connor and you give um, you know, the, the, um, the boy Brennan, if you give them chances, they'll score. And that's what happened tonight. Cardboard came on. He looked really, really loud. He really got that shelf. Yeah, no, he did. Yunus is a good lad. He came on wide right and, you know, yeah, he was lively. But, um, yeah, no, I thought, I thought everybody as a team, I thought, I thought we, listen, we, we never gave up. I said, listen, we could have got the equaliser there at the end but unfortunately it wasn't. How do you react to this? Because, as I say, there was positives but ultimately it's a defeat. So what do you do to
1: bounce back? Yeah, we've got to go again up for treaty next week.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Cork City versus Treaty next week in Turner's Cross. 7.45 kickoff in Turner's Cross on Friday night. And hopefully City can bounce back and get some much-needed wins on the board. But Colin Healy there, very understandably disappointed and frustrated after last night's game uh, with the mistakes that that cost City so dearly again. We're going to talk to a man now who was involved in many... Um, much bigger clashes between Cork City and Shelburne over the years when both Cork City and Shelburne were vying it out for the Premier League title and playing in Europe every year and so on, and both had magnificent teams back around kind of 2004, 2005 time. George O'Callaghan, Cork City legend, winner with Cork City of the League in 2005, joins me now. How's it going, George? Very good. Cullen, nice to speak to you again after all the lockdown and everything Absolutely and come here to me um, Cork City last night losing out to Shelburne it wasn't a bad performance but it was a very silly error as Colin Healy mentioned there to give away the second goal very soon after they equalised and I suppose as Colin mentioned they've done that kind of thing quite a bit this season silly mistakes has cost Cork City quite a bit
4: Yeah they have you know and you know like I suppose when Colin took the job like we always say it's like a big job ahead of everyone but um, I think we said that with John Cotter, we said it with uh, with Fenny and Joe as well, you know. But um, those mistakes are really costly and I suppose when you look at the whole season so far, I think is it's 13 games and they 12 points. Mm. So, um, you know, it must be really frustrating for Colin, you know. And I always say, like, you know, you're better to be a lucky manager than a good manager, you know. And he probably just doesn't have that luck on his side at the minute.
0: Yeah, they haven't been having much luck at all, but uh, kind of hoping that they've turned a bit of a corner after the Athlone win last week. They had a 2-0 win up in Athlone, and as, as we said, the performance was much better against Shelburne. It was really that, that silly error that cost them. Do you think, George, that the more this young team kind of plays together, the more they might gel? And obviously Colin has them in training five days a week as well. Do you think they might, they might click eventually? And they only need to get into the top five to get that playoff spot? Yeah, well, I, I
4: think when you look at it, and um, even though they only have 12 points, there are only six points, off three, you know, that are in that other playoff spot. And um, I think, I think, you know, it is a really tough job for Colin. But, you know, Cork City, I suppose, if you go back and you look at it down all the times that I was working with you and Red FM, mm. um, since Shawnee McGuire left, everything has really fallen apart. And it's constantly like going one bit after another. And I just feel, we well, kind of don't know which way the club's or direction the club's going to go in you know what I mean and they need to fall upon like a good striker like they did years ago with Flynnie or somebody like that in the in the transfer window to get somebody to come in and score goals and do something like that but you know they really need a bit of luck and they do need like the fighting the player that can come in and score goals and a and midfielder that can create and so like it's a really really hard job for
0: them. It is, and I, I think I think you're dead right. Um, I think it's been very evident all season, and Colin has spoken about this himself and lots of other uh, observers as well. Like Cork City have been creating chances, but they can't put away the goals, and they're not scoring the goals. They need to go out and, and pick up points and to win games. Um, and it's been a big problem for quite a while, as you mentioned, George, the lack of a striker. Do you think that's exactly what they need? If they, if they got a striker that could bang in the goals, it would make all the difference. Yeah,
4: like, they need a striker, but where do you get a striker from? You know, because mm. they obviously have a budget, and Everybody wants a striker that scores goals, you know. Right? Every <laughs> club in the world is looking for that. And like you know, if, if you can't afford to get in top guys like they could before, or, or find or have that scout network, then it's going to be really difficult. And and for Colin, like he needs to just have that bit of luck. Like I keep saying, that, that he finds a player somewhere that comes in and sets sets everyone on fire again, like Shawnee did, when Fliny did, like when you go back to Caulfield and Morley. You know, they had Wiggy and Dab years and years ago. You need to find that. And, and Cork don't have that anymore, you know. and They're just missing out on, on that kind of, that extra bit that normally that we had lads coming back from the UK or whatever that come in and, and have that pride of playing for Cork City. But we just don't seem to have that at the minute. So I really don't see kind of what direction they're going in. But like, I wish Colin all the, all the luck in the world. But uh, like, and it is a very difficult job for him because the, at the end of the day, we're the biggest club in Ireland. And we're like, what, well, we're sitting third bottom in, in the first division. So, like, you know, it, it, it's really frustrating as a fan or an ex-player to watch it, you know, because we want them to be doing well. We want them to be competing for the, for the Premier League, never mind
0: the first division. Yeah, they need to get back up to the Premier League as soon as possible. You think they can, George, as the season goes on, pick up those points needed to get into those playoff places? As you mentioned, they're only six points off the playoffs. So, I mean, all it takes is a couple of wins to get in there. And if they get into the playoff spots at the end of the season, you never know what might happen.
4: Yeah, like like anything is possible and and I think when last year when you looked at Galway United, when Caulfield took over took over Galway United, they were struggling and the lads can go on the run and they can get in there and if they get in there anything could happen because you know, if you bring anyone to Tornish Cross, you've got a great chance and hopefully that by then like, you know, the crowds will be back and they've got like the the shed behind them the whole lot. But but at the minute I suppose realistically looking at it this year they're probably just trying to settle down the whole club, settle down the team, trying to find the right direction to go in because otherwise, I, like, to be honest, Cullum, I can't see it, but I hope it does happen. But um, I think it's going to take the next season again to really have a good push to get out of that first division.
0: Fingers crossed. George, did it bring back memories seeing Cork City and Talca Park uh, of your own games up there? There was a, a serious rivalry back in kind of 2004, 2005 between Cork City and Shells and you played in some fiery games up there.
4: It is, it is, you know, I, you know, I think it's it, you know everyone knows how much uh, I care about Shelburne and uh, <laughs> but like I even just I've, I've just finished watching the women's game there and unfortunately yeah. they've lost one 0 as well the to shells so it's not been a great weekend for us but um, you know you don't want, you don't want shells being ahead of you like and you know going back to the old days and I suppose like you know it was great rivalry between the two of us but um, you know it's so frustrating I suppose call as a, as a as a city fan and when it, like my my small son's watching it and. You're like, going, like we were the best when I was there, but like you know, I know' with this situation, like you know it's really sad to see the way the club is gone.
0: We're talking about young players coming through at Cork City, George, and you're working with a lot of young players from a very young age at the moment yourself through your own football academy. Ten Rising is your football academy, and it's basically kind of an academy that develops skills and experiences for kids, and you have you've world-class coaches involved, and you kind of bring kids through and give them coaching programs and stuff as well. Um, tell us a little bit about, about the academy, George, and how you're helping out young players in, I suppose, Cork and further field in Ireland, and I believe you're involved over in the UK and so on as well.
4: Yeah, we set up an academy about 18 months ago, so we with a lot of time in lockdown to start it out. Um, our, our kind of aim is to build kids up and build their confidence, um, whether they want to play in England or they want to play for Ireland or they want to play for their local team. It's just improving their skills and our whole academy in the UK that we have as well and in Ireland. is to, is just to help the kids and progress and, and let it be fun and take that kind of pressure and stress away from them and give them that guidance that they need. Because I suppose everybody... The, Play football wants to be a Ronaldo or a Messi, and unfortunately, that doesn't <laughs> happen. But our our whole structure of Ken Rising is that we bring the kids in, we coach them, we give them the advice that they need, and we just we just show them, show them the direction that they need to go in, you know, and just to practice on the first touch or the finishing or or defending, attacking, the whole lot. So it's it's kind of it's fun for the kids, and there's no pressure, and hopefully they benefit from it and they learn from the coaches that we have. We've got CR coaching in at the minute that are running in for us with uh, Craig Robertson, like, who's a fantastic coach. And we just we just give them that guidance that they need that they need in football. And just to let them know that to go and enjoy the game, you know, because I've played the game for long enough and I know the stress and pressure you're put under and I know parents, we all want our kids to be footballers, but, you know, it doesn't happen. I think it's, it's 0.09% that become footballers. And we just want to show them that it's, it's about enjoying the game and learning the game and having the right
0: structure of it. And I suppose you'd be hoping that some players will kind of, uh, as you say, it's fun for the kids involved, but it's also uh, probably a serious pathway to to get through the 10 Rising Academy and eventually maybe kind of work your way up to a, to a Cork City or a League of Ireland club or maybe to a club over in the UK or so on because there obviously will be some talented players um, that, that, that do kind of kick on up to another level always, isn't there? Yeah, no,
4: exactly. And, and like at the minute we have We have our performance uh, pathways uh, program over in the UK, and we literally have kids coming out of Ipswich, uh, Cambridge, Norwich, uh, Birmingham City that are coming to us because of the setup that we have with the coaches and the coaches and the contacts that they want to come and train with us so they know that when they're 18 or 19, they can move on and go to clubs and they're ready to go. Instead of, I suppose, living under the pressure of being in an academy and let go when you're 14 or 15, it's disheartening for kids. So our whole program is set about... Looking after the kids and having that structure for them that they don't get released when they're 13 or 14 and told they're not good enough. They can stick with us. And as they develop, because kids changed in, in all those years, you know, you, you see a massive difference from Lance when they're 13, 14 to when they're 16 or 17. They get that structure with us that they can move on and like, ha- at least have, have more of a chance of not being disheartened by letting go by clubs, but at
0: least they're with us. And then if we can do whatever possible for them, we help them out. Brilliant, and um, you're running some summer camps around um, the country as well this summer, I believe, George. Yeah, no, we
4: have we have um, about eight or nine uh, uh, around Cork uh, and Tipperary in the summer, and um, we've got a first one kicking off from Whitechurch on Monday, so that's really exciting. And uh, you know, all the coaches are delighted. You know, all our coaches, you know, it, it's all um, Cork City or Cork Ramblers or Treaty uh, United players. So it, you know what they're being coached by, like people that are in the game and are experienced in the game and know the whole structure of the game. So, it, like, it's exciting and if I was a kid back when I was young, I would have loved to have been at a camp like that because, you know, because yeah. you're dealing with people that are playing like week in, week out in the in the Premier League or the First Division in the, in the Irish League. So it's fantastic.
0: Sounds class. Uh, more info you can check out for those, uh, for that academy and so on. Ten Rising Football Academy. It's tenrising.com and uh, Ten Rising on Instagram and so on as well. Listen, George, um, thanks a million for chatting to us. And hopefully next time we're chatting, we're talking about a Cork City victory. Thank you, Colin. Nice one. Cork City legend, George O'Callaghan, uh, talking about the Ten Rising Football Academy and Cork City's defeat to Shelburne last night. Right on the way. It's a big night for the Cork Lady Footballers up against Dublin in the league final in about an hour's time it's throwing in at Croke Park we will be going live to Croke Park next to preview that game and we're also talking Olympics between now and 7pm The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie, Cork's Red FM. Yeah, it's Colm O'Sullivan with you until 7 o'clock on the Big Red Bench. Lots to get through up the walls this evening, so much sport because Cork in action tonight, the Cork Lady Footballers, it's a big, big night for them. They face Dublin in the Lidl Ladies National Football League final. It's actually a repeat of last year's All-Ireland final, with the Rebels looking for revenge because Dublin were victorious last year, um, not even a year ago. It's more like six or seven months ago that final was on. Uh, Thrown at Croke Park is at 7.30 and we're going live to Croke Park now. Jer McCarthy, the host of the Cork's Red FM Women in Sport podcast, is there for us ahead of tonight's Cork and uh, Dublin Clash in Croke Park. Jer, how are you getting on? Oh, very good, Colin. Very good. Good to talk to you great stuff and the atmosphere building there in Croke Park and anticipation building Jer ahead of this evening's game and I mean these two are real arch rivals at this stage Dublin and Cork aren't they and it's a repeat of last year's final
2: It is indeed and um, they met in the All-Ireland final only six months ago uh, on a weird December afternoon in empty Croke Park when Dublin won they've met since then in an absolute epic uh, in the league earlier this season we were there as well and uh, we were covering that one and that one Um it like produced seven goals but again Dublin came out on top so Cork are heading into this as the 2019 league champions it wasn't played last year because of COVID but Dublin are the reigning all-Ireland champions and have beaten Cork on the last two or three occasions that they've met it promises to be another humdinger it's going to be close and uh, the anticipation even here as I watch the Kerry and Donegal game I'm sorry Kerry and Meath game uh, league final um, it's building it's definitely building
0: Absolutely. And, um, no changes for the Cork side from their semi-final victory, um, over Donegal. And they were quite impressive in that game as well, Jer.
2: Yeah, not surprising. I think um, on that on that occasion, like they, they met one of the top teams in the country, and uh, over the league campaign, Evie Fitzgerald has been a pains to say that he doesn't. He uses the league to build towards the championship that he wants to win. Obviously, um, and Cork have had a few scares this year. They were pushed to the limit, uh, obviously, by Dublin down in Cork before losing. They were pushed to the limit by Waterford before coming out on top mm. there, and they needed a, a, another bunch of goals, five goals against Donegal to see them off in Bovington. So they have been pushed, but the the, the team has. Pretty much settled now, and I think the team that he's picked is about the strongest he possibly could have selected, considering who's out injured. You're talking Niamh Cotter, you're talking Darren O'Sullivan, Anya Terry Sullivan is back on the bench. Marie Ambrose as well is back there. Could see her name on, on the on the bench as well. But uh, right here and right now, heading towards the league final, I think this is probably his strongest team. And when you look at the forward line, um, it's a new look forward line this year. But it's got Cy O'Leary from Kinsale and Libby Coppinger either side of Kiro O'Sullivan, who for for me and for a lot of people has been the breakout star this year for. York, the Moorn stars she's named a full forward I, I expect her to feature on the centre forward line but herself and Briado Sullivan her Moorn team may have been combining brilliantly and hopefully they will do again. The other four to keep an eye out on is Orla Finn from Kinsale who has been in blistering form. With Darren Sullivan out, she's taken on the mantle of the top scorer. She's uh, deadly from freeze but also really playing well, linking up from play either on the 40 or even on the inside forward line. So this Cork team is primed and they really want to get one over Dublin but they're going to have to be at their very best if they want to do that.
0: Big time. And how much of a loss, Ger, in your opinion, is the likes of Darren O'Sullivan? I mean, a stalwart for Cork. Um, or do you think that, that the players coming in that they, that they have the, the talent to cover that loss?
2: I think there is enough talent now on the way in that may not have been there in previous years to, 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 to compensate for a loss. But it, look, the thing is, Darren O'Sullivan is and remains in my opinion the best forward in the country and I include Dublin in that when she's on form when she's fully fit she's as effective and she's capable of scoring and knitting together that forward line better than anyone else in the country not just in Cork but when you look at the likes of Laura Manny like Sarah Hayes isn't involved Sarah Leahy isn't involved and you look at the bench Cork, are ext- Cork have a very, very strong panel, probably their strongest now for the last couple of years, and they need it because it's no longer a 15-player game. You need those five players to come off the bench and to make a big, big impact. And Cork can do that. They can call in the likes of Dara Kiley, they can call in the likes of Bright Rovers, the, uh, Katie Quirk, another newcomer who's done well. Emer Scally is back in the squad. And we haven't even mentioned some of the other players that would normally, yeah. um, you know, you'd expect to be featuring, like Orla Farmer. And as I said, Anya Terry O'Sullivan being named on the bench is interesting. I expect that we'll see her at some stage tonight. But Darren's loss has opened the door, and not just Darren's Cullum either, but last year's full forward line, and that's not even six months ago in the All-Ireland final, yeah. was Darren O'Sullivan, Anya Terry O'Sullivan, and Searsha Noonan, who has gone on to sign for Shelburne and play full-time soccer now. That's right, yeah, yeah. They've been replaced by a much more, a younger and a more agile full forward line rather than a strong physical forward line. So you've got Syb O'Leary from Kinsale who's come in and had a brilliant season, really made her mark. Hopefully she can do that again tonight against, against the Dubs. And then you've Libby Coppinger, the dual player. She's named a corner forward, a St. Cullum's player, another player with a lot of experience. And I think it's a different Cork forward line. It definitely misses Darren O'Sullivan, but they've worked very hard to compensate for not just Darren's absence but Anya Terry's and Saoirse's and all the other players that are injured as well they're certainly not afraid to go for goals they've been scoring goals for fun will they be able to do that tonight though is the big question but yeah Efi Fitzgerald has an array of talent to pick from so he's lucky because any other county that would lose like Darren O'Sullivan would struggle
0: Looking at the Dublin side, Jer, uh, just one change for the Dublin side as well. And if you look at, at their starting team and even their bench, it's packed with All-Ireland, serial All-Ireland winners, really, um, over the last few years. That is a, a strong, strong, talented panel and squad, isn't it?
2: It is. I'm laughing because we talk about the strength of Cork's <laughs> panel and then you look across the field and then you look across the bench. I mean, any forward line that's got Sinead Ahern, Lindsay Davey, Neave Heather uh, from Clontarf in full forward now tonight, and as well, the big, big worry for me tonight, column is Nafinus Hannah Tyrrell, the ex-Irish rugby international who came back and absolutely scorched Cork down in, in Parque Equipe the last night. She was just, sometimes she was unmarkable. If she's in the mood, it's going to be very, very hard to curb her uh, influence is going to be very hard to, to stymie her, her her ability to knit, you know, defence with attack. And if she gets in around that goal, like you're in big big trouble. But you're right, this Dublin team is built to win an All Ireland, not just a league title. And all they want to win another league title and winning, defeating Cork for the third time in a row in a competitive fixture. Um, don't 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 think for one second that Mick Bowen hasn't said that to the to the Dublin team. Like with the greatest respect to everyone that's playing in this year's All Ireland Senior Championship, these are the two big teams. These are the two most decorated teams. These are the two most qualified to, to go for it again this year. They have the strength in depth not just on the panel, but even the players that can't make the panel. I mean I I've I've made the point before that Cork could very, very easily put out a second team and not be and not do badly at all in all Ireland Championship and I'm afraid the same is true of Dublin that just both teams and both counties are blessed right now to have the amount of talent to call upon that they do but when you look at that Dublin team like you rightly said Sinead Hearn, Hannah Tyrrell Jennifer Dunn Midfield with Siobhan McCra- I mean Leah Caffrey Neil Collins fullback and Lauren McGee who I haven't even mentioned on the half back line this is experience this is all Ireland talent this is the cream of the crop and that's why tonight's game is so anticipated because it's the two best teams in the country
0: Dublin have won 4 out of 4 in the campaign so far Ger, they edged out Cork as we we spoke about when you when you were on with us having a chat a few weeks ago um, in a 7 goal thriller in Porky even in the group stages and I mean th- that game was, it was a, a real cracker of a game as well so will we expect something similar there tonight in Croke Park?
2: Oh I hope so Colm I mean even as a journalist like you, you're, you're calling it down the middle as you're reporting it and, and reporting back on it but everyone in uh, well there was nobody in the stadium that night all the journalists and media people that were lucky enough to be there that night what a game what a game end to end not not a great game for McBone and Ethan Fitzgerald or maybe their heart race uh, to be fair to either of them and it wasn't really a night that defences played badly this is the thing it's just there's so much attacking talent on the pitch every time the ball moves into the final third that's the killer instinct about these two teams they go for goal now, the, the the good news for Cork is they got in behind that Dublin defence on numerous occasions. They wasted as many chances as they scored that night. Will we get that same type of match tonight... I'm not so sure I hope so but I'm not so sure I think both teams will lock down their defences a bit more and it's interesting that Emma Spillane from Bantry Blues is named as half forward she normally drops back into the defence that half back line though Callum. if you're asking me where this game is going to be won and lost it's in the middle third mm-hmm. of the pitch because Cork need Mauro Callan and Hannah Looney to kick on in midfield they've had a great year together but they need to deliver tonight for the full 60 minutes and it's that half back line it's one of the best of the country and I rate it higher than Dublin's Callum Eric O'Shea from McCrew Ashley Hutchings from Fermoy and Melissa Duggan from Donny's. Every chance they get, they're going forward. They are bombing forward. And they they help the attack because they take attention away from the runners and can't create the spaces to get those goals. And it's the same for Dublin. Dublin are no slouches either in the half back line. The O'Caffrey, Alvin Carey, and Lauren McGee all there again tonight. It's a fascinating battle. But I think it'll be more of a chess battle tonight with that little bit more on the line. I don't know if we'll see the open attacking craziness that we mm. saw down in, in Parking Creek. I hope so. I hope so <laughs> for everybody watching it, for everybody afterwards, there, tuning into to the big red bench tomorrow to hear, about, hear all about yeah. it but I think we'll have a very, very tight final. Uh, We may not get the goals fest that we got the last time, but we're guaranteed a cracker.
0: Right, Jarrah, as you look around your beautiful surroundings there in Croke Park, Uh, you're calling a tight final, but I'm going to put you under pressure. If you had to pick a winner here now on the bench and go either way, who would you go for?
2: Cork have basically gotten into Dublin's heads the last two times they played. In the All-Ireland final, they let it slip in the third quarter. In in Parky Creve last week, or last couple of weeks ago, they let it slip in the final quarter. If Cork deliver a full 60-minute performance, I think they can beat the Dubs tonight. I really, really do. But, and I hate to say it, (laughs) I still think Dublin are that step ahead. The gap is narrowing, and it's never, ever been closer. But a league final, and I mentioned it earlier on the week, I wrote about it, the psychological blow... Cork could deliver by just getting one over Dublin tonight would really set them up going into the into the champ in the All Ireland championship but unfortunately got him and I hope I'm wrong I think Dublin will edge it but only just
0: but well, we all hope you're wrong on this occasion sure <laughs> I hope so too <laughs> Listen enjoy the game Jer it's going to be a cracker Cork versus Dublin in the uh, Lidl National League Division 1 final uh, Cork and Dublin tonight in Croke Park thrown at 7:30 enjoy it sure and hopefully you're wrong and we're talking about a Cork win tomorrow I hope so too. Thanks Colin, talk to you soon. Fingers crossed. All right. Um, We're going to turn our attentions now to the Olympics because the Olympics in Tokyo is on the horizon. Just like Euro 2020 is taking place now, the Olympics also delayed and taking place 12 months later. Actually, before we do that, let's get an update from the Euros because there is uh, not much time left in Amsterdam. There's only about a minute of normal time left and um, Wales are on the way out of the tournament, unfortunately. Just literally in the last few seconds, Denmark have added a third goal. It is now Wales nil. Denmark 3, Casper Dahlberg getting two goals there for Denmark and uh, Joachim Maeli, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, just getting the, uh, the the most recent one there in 89 minutes as well. So uh, Denmark 3, Wales nil. later on, it's Italy and Austria. But it is the Olympics on the horizon and we're going to talk Olympics now because Valerie Wheeler has been speaking to Olympian and current Team Ireland psychologist Jesse Barr during the week. Let's take a listen to uh, Valerie talking to Jesse Barr now ahead of the Olympics.
3: Joining me on the Big Red Bench this week is Jessie Barr, Olympian and current Team Ireland psychologist. She joins us this week as FBD launched the Sound Support Campaign to support Team Ireland at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Um, FBD are primary sponsors of Team Ireland and they are proud to support Team Ireland as they chase their Olympic dreams. So Jessie, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. With only weeks to go to Tokyo, what is it like as an athlete maybe building up this time? You know what? I think... I feel like there's a sense of relief that it's
5: it's happening. It's been a long run in. It's been a five-year wait for this game. So I think there's just the excitement, the relief. It's happening. We're going. Um, and obviously now that we're getting closer, so the nerves, the anxiety, those kind of things are starting to creep in again because performance is happening pretty soon. The game's are already weeks away. So yeah, it's a busy time, but it's a really exciting time.
3: Are you able to be excited and relaxed in the build of this, or is it all a bit much? Um, yeah, look, I'm excited for it. It's my first time working as,
5: you know, working as part of the support team for the, for an Olympics. So it's a really exciting time. It's a really, it's an amazing opportunity for me professionally. And, you know, it's, it's been a tough year and a half of supporting athletes through uncertainty and difficult times and the challenge that we've had. So, this is the bit that I like. This is the bit I want to be doing is preparing them for performance, preparing them for the big competitions. So yeah, look, I'm I'm enjoying it. Um would I say I'm I'm relaxing all the time? No. <laughs> but that's the part of it. This is this is the busy time. And you know, anyone who works in sport, there's going to be those busy periods. And this is for us in Olympic sport, it's gonna be the summer time. So no, you know, I'm I'm embracing every moment of it, every text that you get or You know, Zoom calls, still on Zoom, Zoom calls that I have, you know, they're all more positive because they're now talking about performing at the Games and what that would look like instead of the uncertainty of will will I have a race this weekend and that kind of stuff. So it's just been really great.
3: Do you use your own experience of London in 2012 maybe to talk to them about it or...? Yeah, look, I
5: don't I don't offer it up constantly, but it definitely helps, you know, in terms of building that empathy with the athlete, you know, they know that I've been there. And I think sometimes it's it's not even the kind of preparing them for the performance, because look, at the end of the day, a track is a track, a pool is a pool, a hockey pitch is a hockey pitch. It's often all the noise and the fanfare around the games and kind of saying, God, you know, uh, this is something that I would have felt, you know, in the few months leading up to the games. Have you felt that, you know, even things like this meet a lot of media around it. Um, you know, you might hear your name mentioned more than usual. How are you finding that? I found I found sometimes that it was like, whoa, God, people are talking about me and no one knew who I was last year. So, you know, I'm able to use my experience to kind of get them talking about different things, get them thinking and then say, OK, well, what can we do for to help you manage this? So yeah, I think it's 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 great that I have the experience. It would be very. I think I'd find it very challenging had I never been to a games to now work and prepare for this games particularly because you know whether as an athlete or staff, it is a hugely unique challenge regardless of whether COVID had affected it. It's still very different to anything that I've ever done. So just having the experience and knowing what that looks like and that build up feels like has definitely been valuable. Maybe for me, nearly more so than the athletes of knowing what what to expect and when the wobbles may or may not happen.
3: Is this your second year that you're retired for competitive action? Is this Is
5: this 2019? Yeah. 2019. I kind of had really, it was a long build up into retirement. So it's probably going on three years at this stage since, you know, I kind of really did make the decision in 2018, but it was only because there was actually an interview in the 2019 that it became like, oh, she's retired yeah. us. <laughs> I, you know what it was, it was, it was great because I was prepared to talk about it. Had I, you know, as in, when I hung up my spikes initially in 2018, I was still very upset and kind of took a while to kind of, to, you know, you know, embrace the transition into, you know, into as, as a member of staff. So it was a tough time. So actually when it eventually, you know, I kind of publicized in 2019, which is not really an intentional thing. It's just, I was asked an interview and um, and it, I was ready to talk about them that I may not have been because it is a difficult transition for any athlete. You know, it's letting part, letting go of a big part of your identity. So, yeah, no, it's it it was a challenge because I went on and went to two different uh, European Games and European Youth Olympic Festivals as part of the team. So I kind of I was forced to transition very quickly. And um, whereas now I'm, I'm very much I'm staff and I'm there to support the athletes um, in my capacity. And I'm just really excited and embracing that now.
3: For you, maybe was it a slow realisation that you probably had to retire because of maybe injuries and, you know, things that were niggling you?
5: Yeah, no, it was, it was just a constant, you know, constant injury cycle and rehab cycle that I found myself in. And to the stage where I was working in the Institute. I had done a, did a summer internship, had secured a traineeship position and it was kind of looking like, there was a future there for me within the Institute and I was going to have to make a difficult decision at some stage, whether I wanted to keep competing during the summer or work. And it kind of forced my hand of a decision that I was putting off making, but knew I was going to make eventually. And um, so it was, it was great that I had something to transition into so quickly and be able to kind of refocus on and kind of give me something else to think about and create a new identity. Um, but yeah, look, it was still, um, it was still a slow transition, but, you know, I it was the injuries were going to force me out of it regardless, so having something else to kind of force that decision is probably exactly what I needed. Or I could be still kind of going, Oh,
3: no, I'm still competing, kind of you know, it yeah.
5: needs to come to an end because I was it was holding me back.
3: Do you think that nowadays more than ever that people have come to the realization that sports psychologists are so amazing and a vital part of a team? God, I hope they think we're amazing. No, I'm <laughs> joking, but. Yeah, you know what, I think
5: I think a lot of people were on board with that anyway. I think maybe when I went to the Institute, I was surprised at how many people were using sports psychologists. because, believe it or not, I never saw a sports psychologist when I was an athlete because I was studying it okay. like I know what they're going to tell me. I don't need that. I did, but I couldn't see that at the time. I was just too stubborn, um, but I was surprised, I think, at how many people were using sports psychology now when I when I went and became part of the staff in the Institute and how common it was. But I think as much as COVID was a negative in so many ways, I think a positive was that people were really recognizing not only this, the benefit of psychology for performance, but also how important it is to just mind my well being if I want to be the best athlete I can be. And I think conversation around mental health and well being is much more open now since it's over the last two years in the pandemic, um, more athletes are kind of seeing it as something that's there to talk about because we were all facing the exact same thing for the first time everyone had the same challenge everyone's finding it hard everyone struggles at different points so I think definitely coming out of the pandemic and going forward more and more people have embraced it than even had two years ago which is really really positive.
3: Can you tell us, maybe as a sports psychologist, what exactly you do with an athlete? Maybe what, yes. what are the things that they'd come to you for? I know there's probably a, a wide variety of things, but if you can give yeah. us a little rundown and we'd love no, it. You know what? It's good because
5: it's one of those it's one of those disciplines that people go. Well, I know if I go to nutritionist, what they're going to do. I know if I go to physio, what they're going to do. What is the sports psychologist? Um, You know, in the Institute, it's funny because, you know, sometimes there is that perception of like, well, I'm going to have my clipboard and my glasses at the end of my nose and you're going to lie down and talk about your feelings. (laughs) When I first saw the consultation rooms in the Institute, there is a sofa and two armchairs, and I was going, oh, (laughs) obviously I knew that's not what it was used for, but it was just to create like if you were to walk in during a sports psychology consultation with an athlete, it probably just sounds like a chat. Sometimes it sounds like you could be having coffee with a friend. Um, but you know the reasons an athlete might kind of start working with me could be, you know, you know, kind of wobbles in their confidence. They don't feel confident in themselves and their ability. They don't have that self-efficacy to go out and compete at the new high levels they're now reaching. And um, maybe motivation, like during COVID, they were not motivated to train. And looking at strategies for that, general things like mental skills training, like helping them to set goals, learning how to do some relaxation breathing techniques that might help with nerves. Um, I would say why most athletes would come to me, you know, in the beginning is I get really nervous. Can you help me get rid of them? And they learn straight away in the very first minute. I can't help you get rid of the nerves. but We're going to develop coping strategies. And I suppose that's probably the number one thing I do is develop the athletes coping strategies so that they can go away and apply them. Like say, like development toolkit, like here's all the things that if I get nervous, I know I can do X, Y and Z. I can think about this. I can refocus on that. And the nerves are not going to affect my performance.
0: That is Jesse Barr, Olympian and current Team Ireland psychologist, talking to Valerie during the week um, ahead of the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics, of course. Uh, the Euro 2020 Opening game of the last 16, the first game of the last 16, just full time there now in the Amsterdam Arena and Denmark have given Wales a right hammering in the end. Um, just in the last few minutes, they've added a, another goal in the 94th minute, Martin Braithwaite adding their fourth goal and uh, Harry Wilson was sent off in the 91st minute for Wales as well. So it's finished Wales nil. Denmark 4 is how it's finished there in that game at the Amsterdam Arena. The other game of the evening is Italy versus Austria. That kicks off at 8 p.m. That is us out of time. Rory will be here with you tomorrow on the Big Red Bench from 6 p.m. And I'm back with you on air on the 10 2 show tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. I'll chat to you then. Enjoy your Saturday night, whatever you're doing, and stand by for Stevie G. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks, Red FM.